I do remember at some point, like my parents really questioned the relationship that I had with this guy, me and my friends. Just like, is everything like normal? Is this seems weird? You know, my mom especially was very concerned. I was just, you know, a high school kid who was like, I just, I want to have a good time. This guy knows how to have a good time. He loves Jesus. Everything's okay, mom. Hey everyone, I am Mary DeMuth and this is The Restory Show. And today I'm welcoming Tyler Brown to the show. Tyler, thanks so much for coming on The Restory Show today. Glad to be with you. It is so great. We've actually talked before and he's interviewed me on a, um, a podcast as well. And so we're trading back and forth. And Tyler, what kind of story, um, actually I know the story, but uh, what story do you want to share with the Restory listeners today? My story is related to uh, late in my high school life uh, with a man who was a leader in my youth group. Mm. And so I'm going to be telling that story. Yeah. Would you like me to just jump into it <laughs> or are you going to ask some preview questions? Yeah. So um, when did you start going to the youth group and when? what was your first impression when you met this guy? So... My dad was the senior pastor at this church growing up. It was one of the larger churches in town. Um, we had about, I would say, any, around 2,000 people that went to the church, and I was his oldest son. So I was a pretty well-known person in the church and in the youth group uh, that we probably had 40 to 50 high school students uh, that were consistently a part of it. And for larger events, it was even quite a bit bigger than that. So I was I was pretty well known, and I was the worship leader for the youth band. So I had some leadership responsibilities in the youth group. And basically the circumstance was that another leader, an older guy who I know and respect even to this day, invited one of his former students who was uh, in his mid-30s to be a part of this youth group and to start, you know, volunteering and helping out leading small groups and just being around and available for students at various weekly programs that we had. And so my first experience in, with him was was very positive. He was a a guy who knew how to have a good time, who seemed to be pretty lighthearted. And I, the context for that is I was the oldest kid of the senior pastor at this big church. And so everybody, every adult that I interacted with, for the most part, was pretty serious around me. And I just didn't want church to be like this stuffy thing. I had so much experience with that of adults where church was like a big deal. Here was this big church in town. We're trying to make a big difference and reach people. And so church was like really important to all these adults. And here I am, 16, 17-year-old kid. I'm just like, I want to have a good time. Like, I don't want to be bored when I go to church. So the, the fact that this uh, new leader could step in and have uh, a, know how to have fun and have an attitude that embraced that was like intoxicating for me. I enjoyed that. It was uh, it drew me to him, not even in like an, a negative way. It was just like it was refreshing because. And my youth pastor was the same way. He was a very energetic, fun, uh, life-of-the-party kind of person. And I wanted to be around people like that because most of the other adults in my church were not like that at all. So it was like, uh, like you said, it was intoxicating. And so so there, when you first met him, because um, you had no, did you have any bells going off or any sort of 
any sort of thing going on in your head like, oh, something's quite not quite right or maybe I should not spend time with him. And maybe in retrospect you have that, but at the time, was there anything that he did that was a little odd at first? At first, no, nothing. Other than I, that I, I didn't know him. He had some musical background, so he started helping with uh, the worship team, the youth worship team that I was helping lead. Uh, but I don't remember ever uh, thinking something's off, this guy's weird or uh, seems to be doing some odd things that would be like red flags for me. But, you know, part of the context, too, is I had no framework for even like viewing people in the church in that way. Um, I just automatically assumed that people put in leadership and adults should be trusted and listened to and respected in some way. And, and so I didn't really, maybe if, you know, me going back and having had these experiences now as an adult, if I could have gone back and then seen some of those interactions, maybe I would have noticed some things. But at the time, nothing stood out like that. And I think that's something really important to talk about because we tend to just blindly grant, grant trust, uh, especially in a church setting. We just, like you said, we assume that if, that they've been vetted. We assume that the skeletons are out of the closet. We assume that they have our best interest in mind. And we convey that trust uh, almost without hesitation and so in what kinds of ways did he, um, what, what, well, let me just let you unfold the story. What happened next? Some of the, the amount of time that took place between like when he came to my life and involvement in the youth group and like when did I start hanging out with him in other situations, timeline on that is really fuzzy to me. I don't remember the specific details, but uh, I guess next steps would be uh, so he came to the youth group, then he started working with the worship team, which gave me more connection to him uh, on a consistent weekly basis. And then he really reached out to me and a couple of my friends who uh, weren't really a part of the church, but were a part of the youth group. And uh, me and my friends hung out like all the time. And so uh, we just started a lot of the times when I would hang out with my friends, we would also hang out with this man. And we would go to his house. He had roommates. He was uh, not married and lived with another guy who was single as well. He would invite us over to his house. And uh, so that's when I think things started to ramp up is when I got more interactions with him outside of the church facility. So it would be at his house in his car, going to a movie, going out to eat. Uh, not just, it was very rarely one-on-one, -on -one, just me and him. Usually it was me and my friends. Um, and so I guess it was in those interactions when things, looking back, when I should have seen red flags and I just didn't. It was, uh, you know, having an alcoholic drink it, with this guy or him drinking around us, even if we weren't drinking. And uh, I, for whatever reason, like I was just willing to overlook those things, uh, which was uh, poor decision making on, on my part. And I do remember at some point, like my parents really questioned their relationship that I had with this guy, me and my friends, just like, is everything like, 
you know, normal? Is this seems weird? You know, my mom especially was very concerned. And I was just, you know, a high school kid. It was like, I just, I want to have a good time. This guy knows how to have a good, good time. He loves Jesus. Like, everything's okay, mom. And uh, my mom was right. I should have listened to my mom. And my mom to this day says to me that it kills her that she didn't uh, step in and just be a mom and say, no, you're not doing that. And I said, mom, like, if you could have gone back and done that to 17 year old me, I would have rebelled even more than I already was. So I don't, I don't blame my mom. I don't blame the adults. Again, I was 17. I don't necessarily blame me, but I do accept some of the responsibility for not standing up for myself when there were opportunities to, I was willing to be blinded by some ignorance, by this kind of carefree attitude and a little bit of a rebellious streak in me that was uh, willing to do some things that I knew weren't totally right. And I think that's kind of like where things started to move next. And so how old were you at this time? Were you 17? Is that what you said? I think it, so. Yeah, it started around my junior year of high school. So I would have been 16 turning 17. And so, um, you know, now as you tell your story, it, you know, it's, it's there. <laughs> what, uh, did he like severely cross a line one day or was it slow in the way that he pursued you? I mean, I think he, as far as like a leadership authority within a church and having some spiritual authority with that, leading these young men within a high school youth group, he crossed lines just by uh, encouraging us by, you know, saying pornography is, is not all that bad and, uh, talking very explicitly about, um, sexual interactions that he had had with other women. And again, like these were all opportunities for me to, to think this is not right. And I was willing to just go along with it for all the reasons that I just said, um, but I think it really ramped up more so probably six months later about like I, I had spent enough time with him consistently where it was just like normal to go hang out with him and my friends on a Saturday night on a on a Friday night when we could stay out late and watch movies. And sometimes there would be drinking, sometimes there wouldn't be. Uh, but I think that's when things where he probably sent some opportunities, whether he was a predator beforehand at any point, I have zero knowledge of that, even to this day. Um, but I think sometimes there can be instances when somebody kind of becomes a predator. Think things are going wrong, poorly for them, and they sense an opportunity for intimacy, for some sort of physical connection with anybody, and then they kind of they could become predatorial, even if they're not predators beforehand. And maybe that was the case with this guy. But that's definitely uh, it's like he sensed opportunities with me and all of my buddies and tried to do what he could to take advantage of that. And it seems odd that he would have shared about um, porn and also sex with other women and then be pursuing you. It just seems like there's something a little bit broken there, or I mean, obviously broken, but, um, so how long did his abuse of you continue and how did you break free? 
I would say he groomed me for a long time, me and my friends and then other kids in the youth group that I was uh, after the fact aware of or made aware of that I wasn't really friends with. Um, I think he groomed a lot of us, a number of us, for a good amount of time. Like one obvious interaction with him that was like he was obviously trying to do something and it was at that point from then on I didn't totally remove him from my life because I I think I just tried to ignore like that something happened or tried to happen um I can even remember the following week he like uh, reached out to me and apologized and was like, I'm going to buy you whatever you want. And I'm a golfer and I was in golf season and he was just like, I'll buy you any set of golf balls that you want. And so I was like, well, I'm not accepting his apology, but I'll take some golf balls. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> um, but to kind of answer your question, how long for me, it was just there was one specific interaction where something was obviously trying to be pushed by him. And from then on out, like I just I basically shut down my interactions with him and made sure I wasn't ever alone with him again. But at that point, like I didn't I didn't feel comfortable speaking up. I didn't talk to my friends about it. It was like embarrassing for me to think like, how did, why did I even like, how did this become a possibility? And so I didn't, I didn't want to say anything to, to anybody. So I didn't for a while. And then a while after that, I did eventually tell my parents. And that was kind of already after the fact of leadership and the church being aware that something was going on. And my parents just didn't know that I was a part of that. So uh, first, the first thing that comes to mind is audacity. This, this audacity of you're like the son of the pastor of the church. Like, does that not seem so out there? Like, you would think that he would have been worried about pursuing, you know, like a high-profile kid in the youth group. It just seems really audacious to me. I wish I had an answer for that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> obviously, I didn't self important person and how dare you approach me yeah um, no not that i'm thinking i of just his, saw it. his audacity yeah yeah did he not have a fear of getting caught i think he was very cocky very arrogant part of that was like it kind of went with his kind of let's have a good time attitude because he was kind of life of the party guy and so i think if there was some like conscious choice on his part to push these things if he was really like specifically grooming me and setting me up for something then it came from this kind of self-confidence arrogance that fit within his personality that would have then caused him to just overlook the fact that this was risky to be uh, approaching the senior pastor's son in this way. So when you told your parents, how did they respond? Well, there was, there was crying. My, my mom was devastated. Not, I mean, devastated for me, but more so just personally devastated. She felt like she uh, had failed me as a mother, that she didn't stand up for me when she knew she needed to, that she knew something wasn't right. 
And my dad, who was a leader in the church, was, uh, I think, putting words in his mouth, but probably devastated for his son and then devastated for his church that he was in leadership at a church where this sort of thing had, had taken place. And I wasn't I wasn't the only one. So I wasn't the only one that had a story. I wasn't even the one that approached the leadership of the church and when they were made aware that there was something going on with this man. So I think, uh, yeah, it was it was devastating. But my parents, to their credit, were and still are and always have been only supportive of me. There has never been a single how could you have let this happen sort of questioning of me, even though I was 17 years old. We're not talking about, uh, you know, a seven-year-old boy who can't even really understand some of these things. Like, I knew what he had tried to do when it happened. There was no questioning that something was right or wrong at that point. So I, I had a framework for that at that point. And so there was you could have easily placed some blame on me, and my parents just have never done that. And I think, and I've told them this, um, any sort of healing that has taken place with me in the, let's, let me do the quick math here, the, the 17, 16 years since then has been directly related to my parents and my wife who have only ever been supportive of me when I told them the truth. I love that. And I think that's really important that we have other people in our lives who help us heal I know that that's a big part of my story. I, I wouldn't be here today had I not had people pray for me. And let's take a quick moment to highlight a new podcast I have called Pray Every Day. And uh, if you do need powerful prayer today, you can hear me pray for you every day while you experience the Bible verse by verse. And the result will be the healed life that you've been longing for. So if you're curious about that, you can go to prayeveryday.show. And um, you can be prayed for and going through right now the book of Philippians verse by verse and praying. So, uh, Tyler, let's pivot on that a little bit. Uh, you said your parents and your wife were there for you. What kind of role did prayer have in your healing? And then what other avenues of healing have you sought as you've kind of tried to work through this very difficult situation? Well, I, I think it was probably a combination of um, trying not to place too much blame on myself and allowing God um, to have space in there. So just, uh, you know, the prayer would have more simply just been that I was asking God to, to cover up any shame that I had and to just kind of remake me, to to allow that to be something in my past, but that didn't have a bearing on my future. And um, so, like I said, my interaction with my wife and my parents, I think, I'll, provided a foundation of human interaction where I felt secure. And my connection with God, the same, same thing. So I felt like this security blanket around me that what had happened in the past didn't have to then shape the future in a negative way. And so I think any sort of healing would be kind of all of that together. My connection with God in which I felt healing and his, his touch in my life and the close relationships around me, which were kind of like this buffer to where I didn't feel this need to share the story with anybody else. I mean, in fact, until October of last year, I hadn't, my siblings didn't even know 
that that story. And so I had just kind of, uh, I guess in some ways, not in a negative way, but just moved on and just tried to, to let that stay where it was way back there. And I guess um, this man passed away uh, this past summer, and I since then have felt more motivated to allow this to be a part of my story that I tell more publicly. Um, because I just, I just know even in my own circumstance, I wasn't the only guy. And I just know that there's so many men who have stories like this and it's a very, uh, uncommon thing I would say for a man to come forward, even though it's not abnormal for it to happen to men. Right. And I really do, you know, commend your bravery in doing that because it seems like, uh, especially, you know, even with the Me Too movement, we're, we're also seeing that men are kind of saying, hey, it has happened to me as well. And we, for whatever reason, we tend to look at only women as victims of this. And it's certainly not true. And so in October, when you decided to be public with it, what was the, besides the death of this person, what was the impetus to do that? And were you scared and what happened and how did that go? I, so the, the man passed away in, it was either June or July. And I was made aware of that by uh, some people in my life that were still somewhat connected to him. And so I, I, I felt some closure with it all just from that, you know, part of the reason I had never said anything before is just cause I never wanted it getting back to him positively or negatively. I didn't want it to affect him he had moved on in a positive way in his own life, and I didn't want it to affect him positively. Like, hey, look at this! Look at this way that I affected this guy, and uh, get some pride out of that if he had continued down that path for the year since. So I had never said anything beyond just a very close knit circle of people, and it was the I was actually out of town. I was visiting. Uh, some family in California and I just opened Facebook after a long day. We got back to our Airbnb place that we were staying at. And the first thing that popped up on my newsfeed on Facebook was just hashtag me too. And I sat, sat there and I thought for a second and I thought, Oh, I bet I know what this is about. And I had, again, I hadn't followed the news. I knew the Harvey Weinstein stuff, which had been coming out all that week but I hadn't followed the news all weekend because I'd been busy all day long, every day that we were out of town. But for whatever reason, I just knew what that meant. So I spent all weekend kind of thinking about and then seeing the news reports and the headlines surrounding the hashtag going viral. And so I think I put something together the following Tuesdays, so like three days after I saw that, because I just felt, you know what, I've been thinking about this. What does it what does it mean for this to be a part of my story today? And I think it's time for me to share. So I think uh, very much so the the hashtag me too and other people sharing. I felt like I was in a pretty good place stability wise and within my connection and relationship with God, where even if there would have been negative reaction to me about it, I, I wouldn't have been negatively affected by that. And so that's really why I said, okay, I think I'm ready to share it. Because before I would have been so paranoid about um, the man finding out that I had shared it 
and then just the the possibility of negative reactions and i i probably would not have been ready to and so i'm 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 thinking that you might have gotten some positive reactions to your post about it or supportive i guess i have for the most part only received i've shared this in various ways in various settings on my blog on facebook so social media type sharing i've shared parts of the story sermons that I've gave at my church, and I've shared it uh, with individuals in my family, obviously. And I've, for the most part, only received positive reactions. The only negative reactions I've ever received is when I've tried to stand up in some things that I've said for victims speaking up themselves. And uh, there's there's some political stuff in there that gets a little bit muddy and makes it hard to kind of figure out uh, why people are getting upset at me. Uh, but I think other people have been on the other side of this and have uh, known people that have been falsely accused. And so that was uh, one specific interaction was somebody saying, I feel like you're saying we should always believe somebody when they come forward. And so we talked about that, and I was like, well, I'm not saying always. I'm more talking about in personal relationships. We need to give people the benefit of the doubt because the opposite could be so damaging. But I could totally understand in a very public situation um, that there probably does need to be like some, some what are the details of this? Are we, are we believing this person offhand? And, and so I totally understood where some of the negative reactions about some of what I shared came from, just because I was extrapolating my experience to then have it shape um, public sharing of what other people were doing. Yeah, and that's a it's been an interesting thing that we've walked through. And what I love about what you did there was you had a conversation, and so few times, especially on Facebook, we're just shouting at each other and misunderstanding each other, but you know, it is really good to ask those questions and, and to dignify the person who might disagree and, and all of that. So I appreciate that you did that. I think that's, <clears throat> that's the right way to go about it, but we just don't, we've lost that art lately, I think. <laughs> so as you know, we've, this, we've got walked through this difficult story, um, but you've come through on the other side. You've got parents that loved you, uh, a wife that has walked alongside you as well, and, and you've come to this place where you're able to talk about it. But what advice would you give to someone who has gone through something similar and maybe they haven't told yet? What advice would you give them? First thing I'd say is that it's it's okay not to share about it, especially publicly. I do think there's some uh, there's a lot of benefit to sharing it, but I would encourage somebody to be very wise in who they choose to share it with and to take some time processing who that person or those people might be because especially if you still feel like you're in a vulnerable place or if this has been pretty recent or if it's not something that you've really talked about with other people ever um, you're in a I would say a pretty vulnerable place and to choose the wrong person could be very damaging and hurtful and cause you know even more pain than uh, the event itself, because you're carrying it with you again. Uh, so that would be my first encouragement. I love that. Uh, second encouragement yeah, keep going. would just be, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, second encouragement would just be 
that I, I don't think you need to feel pressure to ever share about it publicly. And I know it's uh, it's something that I'm obviously doing here. It's that Mary has done. It is something that thousands of people are doing on social media. Mostly, most of those people are sharing it in very vague terms, and maybe that would fit for you. But I don't think anybody should ever feel pressure to share their story publicly if they're not comfortable doing that. And I do think there's there's space for bravery and courage, and especially if you feel like this person uh, is continuing to cause harm to others, then there could be a very, very strong case to be made that you could be the person that helps cause this person to not be able to cause anybody else harm. But I just don't, there's a lot of cultural pressure now, especially on women to stand up for yourself. And I just think you have to consider the other side of the argument, which is that standing up for yourself, uh, brings up a lot of stuff. And you might not be ready for that. So I don't think anybody should feel pressured to feel like it's their duty or their job to share publicly. And so for me, I, like I said, I went 16 years basically without really telling anybody beyond three people. And I think that has led me to this point now we're talking about it is fairly comfortable. And I don't have this emotional weight about talking about it. And I feel like that gives me the opportunity to, to be able to invite others into this same sort of healing. I love that. And I think even in my own story, it, it, if you only look at the past couple of years, you'll, you could say, Oh, she's brave or whatever. And I don't ever feel brave, but yeah, it was, it was decades, (laughs) decades of quiet healing before I ever, ever stepped on a stage or the stage of my blog or whatever. Um, it was so long before I ever shared about it because there was so much healing that needed to be done in the quiet places. So I, I appreciate your pastoral heart in sharing that because, uh, especially about sharing it with someone who's safe because boy, it can really be painful if you share a story like that and someone doesn't believe you or they're just an unsafe person. All right, so my last question for you is how has God restoried you in the past year? The first thing to mind for me or comes to mind for me here would be um, I have been at my current church for for five years after being at a church before that, um, about an hour away from here for five years before that. And I always get like these five-year itches, I guess, mm-hmm. apparently. <laughs> and so I, I was, I spent a lot of time in the last year considering uh, just my qualifications as a pastor and my fit for ministry. And a lot of it relates to the past experience that I, I shared today. Like I feel like at times um, – I've become jaded or cynical and I can be cold toward people. And I think some of it does relate to um, having a man try to take advantage of me in that way. And um, so I, I maybe don't trust people quite as easily as others do. And so I've ran into other, other people within my time in ministry who have then questioned my fit for ministry uh, because they sense, uh, a lack of empathy that they expect from a pastor. And I don't, that's not even wrong on their part. 
I'm at a smaller church now, and I think especially at a smaller church, people expect their pastor to be loving and caring and nurturing. None of those things are are bad, but then it leads me to, okay, if I'm not quite all of those things, how do I fit? And I think how God has really restoried me in the last year is uh, helping me understand where my fit can be and how I can cover up some of my deficiencies and still allow people within my church to feel like they are ministered and cared for when that might not be my my primary gift. It might even be an area of weakness for me. So I, I think uh, definitely I felt greatly encouraged about um, my fit as a pastor within the church and how even being honest about my past kind of leads an open door for people to realize that, okay, Tyler might not be the most empathetic, but he is definitely human. I think that for me has been a a really, it's been a big encouragement. And I felt God's kind of hand on me in that way and sensed it even with interactions with other people as I have shared this, that kind of go, oh, okay, and so that that has been a, a huge encouragement for me, and I think continue uh, will continue to be into the future as well. I love that, and I, I appreciate you sharing because I think we have so many boxes that we place people in and so many expectations of people in ministry, and they have to be this or that, and what if we're all different in the body of Christ? So, And we all are. We're all so different. Well, Tyler, thank you so much for coming on the Restory Show today. I know that's got to be hard to share, but I appreciate your bravery and being honest about what's gone on. You're welcome. It's a a privilege, really, to be able to share about it and to allow it to be a source of encouragement and maybe healing for others is a... That's why why I wanted to do it, so I'm glad to. Oh, thank you. So, listeners, thank you for listening to The Restory Show, and I'm going to pray for you now. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for Tyler. Thank you for his story. Thank you for um, healing. Thank you for his parents who who really came alongside him and uh, believed him and, and grieved with him. And I pray for the person today who has a story that maybe hasn't let it out yet, and I pray you would send a safe person into their life for them to just unburden themselves with their story. And Lord, do give us discernment about when to be public, because once it's public, you can't make it unpublic. Help us to be tender with those who are sharing in public, and help us to be listeners of those who share their stories, and also people who disagree or who struggle with the Me Too movement. Lord, thank you that uh, that you see, that you see the victim, that you uh, identify with the vic- victim and that you were victimized on this earth, that you did bear the weight of all this kind of sin on your shoulders and so grateful that you do. And Lord, I pray for the struggler today that you would come alongside, and I know I keep saying that phraseology, come alongside, but it's such a beautiful metaphor of you walking with someone who may be broken or may have a story that's tender or hard. So I pray you would walk alongside them today and put your arm around them and and dignify them with your presence. Show them that you love them so much. Pray all this in the name of Jesus. So if you'd like to know more about today's show, go to therestoryshow.com for the latest episode and the information there, and may you live a brand new story this week.